This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Donald takes the snap, looks left And welcome back to an episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, another week, another Jets loss, but another week closer to that number one pick. How you feel, man? I'm actually feeling pretty good. This is probably the best I felt after a Jets game this season. They're even though they lost the game, and you know, if you're a tank fan, like I think both you and I sort of are to this point, then you know, this is the perfect type of loss. You move closer to that very extremely valuable asset of that number one pick. And at the same time, there are a lot of positives to take out of this game. You got to see a lot of Joe Douglas's draft class, Becton returned, Mims made his debut. A lot of touches for Michael Pirine, Ashton Davis got into the game. So, and you know, there were a lot of positives both offensively and defensively uh, from young players who can potentially be a part of the solution long term. So, games like this are, and and look, as Jets fans, we're so used to these types of games over the years. It's not like this is anything new, but this is the perfect type of game—a game where you lose and get closer to that asset that, especially this season, you really need because of Trevor Lawrence and just how valuable he could be to this organization, but you move closer to that and the race is really packed. Also, you have seven one win teams right now. So you move closer to that, but at the same time, a lot of really important players uh, on the roster showed you stuff, uh, showed you things that you could feel optimistic about. So this was a really ideal type of loss. Right. I mean, you mentioned how Jets fans are used to this type of game, but I mean, we've already been in this type of cheer for losses, but have players play well mode for, maybe even six weeks, at least five weeks, which at this point is for, for most Jets fans, it would be the end of the season because we're normally in this mode in, in November, December. Um, but we've been in this mode since the beginning of September, really. Um, so a long week, uh, a long nine weeks to go. Um, but certainly I would agree with you. The, definitely the best performance uh, we've seen from this Jets football team, the best half of football we've seen from them. Uh, and, it's not always the case when you have a winless team. I would say that the same goes for last week, but there's actually a lot of things to talk about. And like you said, a lot of positives um, last week when it was Joe Flacco and they're getting shut out. I mean, we were, we've been talking about Trevor Lawrence now for, for six weeks in this podcast, but now we actually have some, you know, current jets related things to talk about um, that will give you hope, I guess, for next year. Um, but let's talk about probably the biggest storyline from this game. 
Um, and that would be Adam Gase relinquishing the play calling duties to, to Dow Loggins. I mean, at the, at the very least, just for the first half. I mean, it kind of seems like the second half Gase may have taken it over. But um, we do know that that he did give Loggins the, the play calling duties. And, and you did see an immediate difference in this offense, at, you know, at least in the first half. Uh, the biggest would be the pre-snap motion, which is something that most Jets fans have been banging the table for. Uh, when you look around the league and you watch all these other NFL teams, these high-powered offenses, every single one of them uses pre-snap motion. It just is an easy way for your, your quarterback to decipher what the defense is playing. It confuses the defense. It opens up a lot of things. Um, it just spreads out the field. There's a lot of positives to it, not many negatives. Um, and it was just annoying to watch week in and week out this 1990 uh, NFL offense uh, that the Jets are trotting out there under Adam Gase. It's, it still has a lot of room for improvement, only one touchdown, just a rushing touchdown in the second half, only like four yards. But in the first half, I, I definitely saw a lot of uh, strides for this team, even though they only put up 10 points. Michael, what were your thoughts on, on Dow Loggins as the play caller? Yeah, it was definitely interesting. And I noticed pretty quick that Gase was just lingering on the sideline, not calling the plays. So it, it, I don't think it was reported until right before the game. I didn't even actually see it. I just apparently saw that afterwards. So they did keep it close to the vest. Um, but I mean, overall body work, first game, not much different. Still only scored 10 points, which is about what they were averaging, counting out garbage time uh, with Gase anyway. But first half, I mean, it was night and day, first half and second half. Because first half, I mean, they only had four drives. You put up 10 points. That's pretty efficient. 67 yards in the first drive, 46, 80, and then 21 on the drive that had finished with the interception by Darnold. So they're pretty solid in that first half and the motion like you said that stood out Mims was in motion a lot they used Griffin a little bit and if uh, Barrios also yeah had a lot of motion opportunities so it, the first half it was solid but I mean just typical Gase and Loggins fashion the just the adjustments aren't there the other team figures out how to stop what they're doing and they have no answer to it four yards in the second half uh, and, and that's going to cancel out whatever you do in the whole first half especially if it's only 10 points but uh, so I, I guess there were some signs of positive growth in that first half, but the second half definitely canceled out pretty much all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing that they still struggle with these adjustments. I guess I shouldn't say amazing. Cause it's one of those things where you either have it as a coach or you don't the ability to see mid game or at halftime, what a team is doing to you, what they're, they're doing well uh, and, and adjusting to it. It, it may be on the fly. A lot of times the jets seem to come out in the second half with the same game plan uh, and the opposing team has made a lot of, of changes and they come out and, and they have a recipe uh, to, to beat what the Jets were doing in the first half and Gase's inability to counterpunch, or I guess Dow's inability this time. It's frustrating to watch, but I mean, everybody who's watching Jets football this year knows that this coaching staff won't be back. So I guess we only really have to sit at most um, uh, nine more weeks of this. The other thing to, to look at from this game is Sam Darnold returning from injury. Michael, what was your thoughts? It was an up and down game from Darnold. I thought the offense really clicked. In that first half with him, I thought Darnold was on his way to having his best game uh, of the season. I thought he had his best throw of the season from the pocket, at least, on a dime to Barrios. He had another couple nice plays, but that second half was really brutal. You know, again, the story with Darnold is, has been the excuses, which are valid. He's in a terrible situation for a terrible organization, um, terrible coaching, poor offensive line play, especially in the second half, not great weapons. But again, it's, it's, there are things that Darnold's doing. I mean, I think he's had great plays, but he's struggled to have great games. Um, just kind of your overall thoughts on, on the Sam Darnold experience um, from, from this game against Buffalo. 
Yeah, and I think the biggest thing with evaluating Darnold this year, or really any quarterback, any player in any situation, is that you got to you have to be able to separate them from their surroundings. Yes, the offensive line played poorly in the second half in this game. Uh, the receivers still aren't great. Uh, and this, these are the same things he's been dealing with throughout his career. But there's always a way to evaluate the player, regardless of how his teammates play. Uh, the way that a lot of people who are, you know, biased towards Darnold evaluate him is if the support is bad, then Darnold's completely off the hook. Doesn't matter what he does. If the support is bad, he's off the hook. He can play however bad, as badly as he wants. And it's okay. It's just if pressure is allowed, then whatever he does is excusable. If a pass, if no one's open, everything is excusable. You can't really look at it that way. Just because pressure is allowed or the separation isn't good, he still has a job to do. He has to get the throw the ball away. He has to check the ball down. He Even if he throws a really difficult pass, he has to throw it as accurately as he can and give the receiver the best chance. So in this game, the first half was mostly solid. The Dowell Loggins called it decently in the first half. Uh, was getting people open, was rolling them out. The run game was setting up favorable situations, and he was mostly solid. And he did have that one-third of Barrios on third and 20, one of the best of his career, maybe his best from the pocket. That was fantastic. But he did have two really big mistakes. The one was at the end of the first drive, uh, which Mims appeared to be wide open in the flat. We'll see on the film on the All-22, but appeared to be wide open in the flat. Darnold didn't get it there. Eventually did get it over to him and could have been a first down, but Mims didn't attack it correctly. Uh, but still, that should have been a touchdown. Then the interception at the end of the first half. Thought he had man, but it was zone. There's a defender underneath. He didn't see it through the pick there. Rookie caliber mistake that he's still making in year three. So the two big back-breaking mistakes there. Then the second half in which things really fell apart. The offensive line wasn't protecting well, uh, but he still made matters worse more often then you really would like your quarterback to wasn't getting the ball out quickly enough. Uh, there were a few throws that he missed. There was one third down where Barrios was wide open and he didn't see it. Uh, so just overall, it definitely wasn't, uh, it was not as bad as some of the games he's had the season against the bills Colts and Broncos, but uh, it definitely was another subpar performance. Uh, and, and he just continues to struggle with, I think, a lot of the same things that we were talking about during his rookie season in terms of, you know, being able to throw the ball away, get the ball out quicker, to get to the check down quicker, uh, being able to recognize defenders dropping underneath into zone, uh, just a lot of the same issues. So uh, still plenty of time in the season, nine games left. Mims is finally back. There will be some time for him to acclimate. So the season's not over for him, but to this point, the body of work really just hasn't been good. Uh, and a stat I found that really kind of backs this up right now, Darnold has the worst passer rating of any qualified quarterback this season at 65.0. The league average coming into this week was 94.1. So he's 29.1 below the league average passer rating. If he maintained that, it would be the worst ever for a Jets quarterback with at least 200 passes. Right now, oh, the record okay. is held by Good. Kellen Clemens in 2007, minus wow. 21.7, <laughs> which Darnold is well behind right now. So uh, again, box score stats, you don't always want to evaluate that way. I mean, I talk about that a lot. This team is limiting his potential to put up stats, but the reason I bring it up is because it that definitely lines up with the way he's played this season. So uh, he, he's definitely been struggling to this point. He has not given them a reason to stick to feel confident in sticking with him 
over Trevor Lawrence, or even if they don't land at number one, a Justin Fields or possibly right. even a Trey Lance. That, that so, was, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. That was what I was going to say is that it's reaching the point where, and look, it's, it's completely unfair, but if the Jets do steal a few games and Jacksonville ends up with the number one pick and the Jets pick two or three or whatever, it's reaching the point where the Jets would take a look at, at taking Justin Fields, who had a really good game on Saturday, or a guy like Trey Lance, um, just to reset that rookie con- contract. Um, the biggest reason, and I see this said all the time, where it's like, Trevor Lawrence isn't going to fix the Jets. The Jets need a lot more than Trevor Lawrence. And my response to that would be, I agree with you, but you're not just getting Trevor Lawrence. You're getting a top head coaching candidate with him, right. which is the most important part about building a team, I would say, is probably having an amazing head coach. And I think you just, I mean, look, a lot of times it's not always the top head coaching candidate. Sometimes you'll hire a guy, you've seen this plenty of times, Indianapolis with Frank Wright comes to, to mind, where they kind of hire a guy under the radar and he turns out to be a great head coach. So just because he's a top candidate doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a top head coach. But you bring in a guy like Lawrence, you're going to attract the top candidates. If you're picking fourth or fifth or whatever, and Darnold's, you know, maybe had a, you know, a few two or three game hot stretch, but outside of that was pretty up and down. The type of guys that are going to say, I want to hitch my, my, my career to the Johnsons in New York and Sam Darnold, it's going to be pretty low. So there's not going to be that many guys, just the, the quality of, of head coach is going to be a lot less than a guy like Trevor Lawrence. And even at this point, even a guy like Justin Fields, I mean, uh, Greg Roman, who has that Baltimore connection with Joe Douglas. I mean, I've said it many times, but he, Justin Fields and or Trey Lance would be a great fit in that offense. If Greg Roman is the guy that, that, Joe Douglas is, is targeting or whatever. I mean, that makes a lot of sense as well. So you're reaching the point where it's not just Trevor Lawrence. It could be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, which is not what I thought the Jets would be in uh, heading into the season. Now I will say if Sam Darnold can ball out these last nine games, play well, the Jets pick up a few wins and they can still get a guy I really like, like Arthur Smith or any of those other head coaching candidates where it's not Jim Caldwell or, you know, some no-name coach that I'm really not happy with. But again, as, as I just said, a lot of times the under-the-radar guys turn out to be good. But if the Jets do win a few games at Darnold and he balls out, I'm not talking like the wins that they – against Pittsburgh or Buffalo last year right. where it's their defensive efforts or whatever. If Darnold leads the Jets to wins uh, and they can – you know, we'll see in January if they can attract a solid head coach in Canada, I'll be happy. You know, I want Sam Darnold to succeed. I think he will be a good quarterback in this league. Um I'm still rooting for him, even if I'm rooting for the team to lose. But he has nine games left to, to prove it to New York because after these nine games, the Jets are, are in the position to draft a guy like Lawrence, especially. But even a guy like Fields or Lance, I think they will do it. Yeah, because right now it's just – and look, it's it's not his fault. We said it a lot. The Jets completely blew it. Johnson blew the hire with Gase, and Gase has done what you would expect him to do. Mike McCagden drafted terribly, uh, not just drafted, but overall building – terrible so it's not entirely his fault but he also just hasn't been as much of a team lifting presence and look the record without him and with him definitely you know speaks for itself it's impressive and the first two seasons I definitely think that showed a lot the way they played with him and without him but this season with him and without it really hasn't been a difference uh, because this season he's just regressed I was a huge fan of what he showed as a rookie last season he bounced back from a rough start to have a promising final eight games. But this season, he's just not the same Darnold as he was the final four games as a rookie. He wasn't, he's not even the same as he was last season. He's just stooped to a, a very new low. So it, it's very unfortunate, but uh, still has plenty of time to turn it around. 
um, and make his case to stick around next season. But the body of work right now, you just cannot bank on this, especially with the contract situation, you know, uh, a new rookie contract versus Darnold going to his fourth year, especially considering that you can't bank on league worst production, a declining prospect, having your timelines all mismatched with a new head coach and a quarterback in his fourth year. You know, then you get rid of the quarter. If Darnold doesn't play well, you get rid of him going to 2022. Now you have a new quarterback, a coach in his second year, a GM in his third year. It's just all out of whack. So to get things really lined up with a new head coach, new quarterback in the same year, Douglas picking both of those, it just gets the organization in sync. And the Jets haven't been that way for a long time. They've had all these intersecting timelines that aren't lined up, and it really hurts your ability to create stability. So unless Darnold can play really, really well over these final nine games, uh, his production, his regression, the contract situation, all points to it being the best decision to either, I mean, Lawrence would be a no-brainer, but even if you don't land there, to take Fields or Lance at the top of the draft. And it, 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 it's very, we're in week seven and we're talking about taking Trey Lance over Sam Darnold. I didn't think we'd be at this point going into the season, but uh, these are the facts. This is the reality. Uh, and it's, I did not want it to be here, but uh, this is the way he's played so far, but a lot of time for him to turn it around. But as we look at things right now, uh, Darnold has a long way to go to defend his job next year. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be the biggest story. Uh, otherwise, it was the Jets rookies. I, I thought that they played quite well. Um, and considering that we haven't really seen a lot of the classes still up until this point, we barely have gotten to see Mims. I thought he had a really nice debut. We got to see more of P. Ryan, but we've yet to see Jabari Zuniga, who should be back next week. The Jets designated him, uh, him to return on October 7th. You have 21 days, and if he's not activated to the to the roster, um, then his season will be over. But the fact that they uh, designated him to, him to return on October 7th should mean that, he, that he's ready to play. So I'd expect Zuniga to be back against Kansas City. Bryce Hall was just uh, practicing this week, so he should be back in the next few weeks. Um, but we haven't seen Zuniga. We've barely seen Ashton Davis. Um, we obviously haven't seen James Morgan. Cameron Clark is, is on the 53, but he was inactive today. Um, and obviously we just talked about Bryce Hall. So this rookie class, despite all that, Becton looks amazing. And even, you know, though he's battling, uh, through an injury, he's come back and he looks as good as ever. Mims looked great. Uh, and P Ryan, I, I would say with P Ryan, I, I don't think he's a world breaker. I mean, he's definitely not breaking any tackles, but I think he has good vision. He's good in the pass protection. Uh, and he can catch a lot of passes. So I think he's going to be a nice change of pace type of back, pick up five, six yards, actually very Frank Gore-esque, and, and he'll get plenty of carries next year. Uh, and obviously we, we like our man, Braden Mann. Um, but this Jets rookie class, I mean, it's it, the, the early returns are good, but they are very early. Mike, what were your thoughts on the rookies? Let's kind of go through them, starting with Becton all the way down to Mann, anybody who's played, and just kind of your thoughts on, on this game because this has been so far uh, – you know, the most that we've really got to see these guys. Well, yeah, you're, like you said, we've barely gotten to see any of these guys. Becton only started a few games, missed a couple starts. Mims we haven't seen. Davis has hardly played. P. Ryan has just been sharing touches with Gore. Bryce Hall we haven't seen. Clark. So we have not really gotten, and Zuniga also. We've really gotten to see very little of this class, and it's already hard enough to evaluate a draft class after one season if everybody plays because you know, it takes years for progression arcs to really play out. Some guys are early bloomers and they come right in and they're stars, they're contributors. Some guys take their time to develop. So 
it always takes a long time until you could really truly judge a draft class. But it's especially tough if you come in and not only after a shortened off season, which you don't get to see them as much as you usually would uh, and no preseason, then for them to miss a lot of time in the regular season. But it seems like we're finally getting this class healthy and we can really start to get them some uh, meaningful reps that can help start their growth and just get to see what they can do. And again, even if they don't play well, it doesn't mean their careers are over. Or they're not keepers because you know some of these guys are only going to be playing half a season. We are talking about Zuniga and Hall and uh, even Davis and Pirine. If they're starting, they'll only have been starters for about half the season. So well, you can't the, make the, any definitive it, judgments, but it's still good to see them. And the other thing to remember, and, and you are kind of, I would say, the more measured of the two of us, I feel like I probably fall more into the fan bias than you do, but I, I would say that we're both, Hey, it's the name of the podcast. Cool. Your jets. I would say that we're both <laughs> fairly level-headed, but yeah. every year around the draft, myself included, I think we look at a draft class and we're like, okay, this guy's going to be a starter. This guy's going to be a star. This guy, he's going to be our franchise tackle here. And you kind of go through every pick and talk yourself into them being a, a long-term contributor, but you look at the best draft classes in NFL history not every pick hits. It's, it's incredibly hard. It's just, you're just picking draft lottery tickets and most of them don't hit, but if you can hit on three or four of them, every, you know, every class, you're going to be a good team. You're going to develop a nice pipeline of talent. And I guess the, the other important thing is the misses that you have, they can't be so bad that they're out of the league and not on your roster. If you're going to miss on a, on a fourth round draft pick, let's say he at the very least needs to be able to be a special teamer or a second and third stringer who can provide some depth. But when you look at Joe Douglas's draft class, he's not going to hit on every pick every year. Um, but it's about having a higher hit rate. Uh, and then those misses can't be as bad as, as we've seen over the last 10 years. Yeah, the Jets definitely under McCagnan, Idzik, uh, and some of Tannenbaum's later drafts. They had a lot of those picks, like you mentioned, that just did absolutely nothing. We talk about the Christian Hackenbergs of, of the world, the Devin Smiths. Of course, Devin Smith was injured, but the Ja'Kai Polites, a lot of these picks that just Stephen gave you Hill. absolutely nothing. Stephen Hill. A lot of, and just mentioning those three, four examples, that's more than most teams have that high in the draft of guys who do zero for you. You can't afford to have those. So uh, it will be, it'll definitely be important for Douglas to have less of those. And, and that's how you get to the point where the Jets are, where they have so little depth and they have to rely on scrap heat pickups and practice squad players to fill the roster because, you know, picks that are supposed to be filling out the infrastructure of your team are producing nothing. And that's why they have so many holes on the roster. So for Douglas to be able to avoid doing that and even have his worst picks just be backup special teamers, like you said, uh, is extremely important. And it does seem like that they're working towards that extremely early. But uh, like Ashton Davis, for example, he can be a good special teamer, even if he's not a good starter. And Michael Pirine is a good pass blocker. He's got good hands. He can be a good situational player for you. Picks like that are really important. And, and the hope is, is that guys like Davis and Pirine one of them or maybe both of them can year three or year four develop into a star or starter, but we're not going to go into the um, with the expectation that Ashton Davis is going to be this ball hawking eight picks a year type of safety. I would say right now, the expectation is that he's a third safety and a special teamer, but the hope is that he develops into the, a a starting safety and potentially a star. Right. And there's plenty of time for them to turn into that. But I, I think right now you could still, get to see whether these guys are NFL caliber players and if they can provide you that depth. And so far it looks like that, but to talk about this game in particular, Becton, I think came back and was as strong as ever. He did have two penalties, but I mean, that's only two plays out of the 
50 60 plus snaps he plays it doesn't really affect the overall performance that much so and, he was, and they he weren't holding really good and they, yeah, weren't, holding and they weren't holding penalties they were pre-snap i think one was false start one was he was off the line right. a little bit too far so you know minor mistakes but he was throwing people all over the place throughout the game protection looked good uh mims very impressive debut only four for 42 so not the brightest stat line in the world but i really liked what i saw from him uh the big mistake or at least the biggest was that throw from Darnold on the first drive he didn't attack the ball enough kind of let it get into his body uh, and I got to give you credit because you actually pointed that out to me I didn't really catch it live so good on you there but you're welcome he didn't really attack the ball there but other than that he had some a couple really impressive not really impressive catches but he did get involved all those catches were in the first half and then the blocking was what really stood out the most. I've been, I was really excited to see that part of his game because he was so good as a blocker at Baylor. He just clearly loves to do it. And at his size, with his strength, he can be a real force and had a great block on Tredavious White to set up P. Ryan's touchdown, had a few more good ones. So he's fantastic in that facet. Uh, and, and he definitely seems like he's going to have a solid, promising season this year, setting up potentially a breakout going forward. Pirine, yeah. I think, uh, wasn't, and you kind of touched on this, that he wasn't too, not, not too elusive, but I think we're seeing some good vision from him, some good all-around traits, finishing run strong, decent pass blocking. Uh, so I, I think those three guys you definitely saw a lot to like. Right, and, and going back to, to Mims a little bit, I think the biggest thing for him over these final nine games, and I think he had a really good start, um, this past Sunday is just proving that he can be a starting receiver next year. Not, not in the sense that, you know, when we were going into the season, we were counting on bless Austin being a starting corner. We want Denzel Mims to establish himself as a starting NFL receiver this year. So it's not even a question mark. It's just about how much better can he get in his second season? I think that's the biggest goal for a lot of these guys, but particularly Denzel Mims. Cause I think we know Beckton's going to be a starter. I think we can assume Mims is going to be a starter considering he's a second round pick, but you never know. Um, but I think that would be the, the, the biggest thing I'd like to see. And, and you pointed out a really good thing. It was his receiver blocking that I think impressed me the most. He had a lot of some nice plays. I think he could have had a touchdown. You, you mentioned the, the criticism of him not attacking the ball. That was his biggest mistake. But if Darnold throws it to him immediately, and look, I mean, we don't know where he was in his progressions. It seems like Mims was towards the, the latter half of it. Um, Mims could have had a touchdown there. Um, and he also threw that um, fade route to him in the end zone that it kind of looked like a little bit of a miscommunication. So Mims could have had another TD there, but um, the receiver blocking was definitely the most, most impressive. You saw it on a few LaMichael P Ryan runs, the 15 yarder, and then the touchdown are the ones that immediately come to mind where P Ryan really set the edge and in receiver blocking. And you've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast is, is one of the primary reasons for big runs down the field, because those five, 10 yard runs, those are mostly on the offensive line. Um, but anything on the perimeter or anything that breaks deep you you need the receivers to be able to block the secondary and Mims clearly shows that he can do that so I was really impressed with Denzel Mims in his debut I'd like to see him continue to build on it throughout the season obviously Beckton the big concern for for me there was um, just how he would be coming back off the that injury how would it affect his strength but we didn't really see much uh, you know of a difference there at all anytime I, I say okay I'm gonna watch Makai Beckton on this play it seems to get a pancake um, just I mean, he's just so big and so strong. And, and I would say his technique is, is what's impressed me the most. So I'm really excited that the Jets were able to land a guy like that. And then you talked about P. Ryan. I, I think he's, you know, I'd like to see him continue to get better every week. But my expectation for him is not to be a, 
the starter next year. I think he's probably number two, but I think he's a guy who can be like a Frank Gore, come in, get your five, seven yards of carry, but he's not going to be um, Derek Henry or, or, you know, Le'Veon Bell or any of those big time running backs. Um, I think he's probably more of a, of a depth type of piece, but, you know, look at San Francisco, you look at LA having a running back by committee approaches is, is always, you know, has worked in, in, in the NFL in recent years. Uh, but anybody else who played, I think Davis, he played a little bit, filled in for McDougald. We're going to talk about McDougald in a minute here. Um, am I missing anybody? Else? I mean, Braden Mann, he had a few punts, but um, nothing nothing too big of note. Am I missing anybody yeah, he else? did whiff it on a tackle on the kickoff, so oh. I guess he his perfect record as a tackler doesn't is now has a splotch on it. Oh. But, you know. I know who we're missing. Bryce Huff, how do we forget the friend of the podcast? He's not a part of the of course, draft picks, of but he did say to us when we had him on the podcast that – the Jets did go after him harder than any other team. So this was clearly a guy that Joe Douglas liked and uh, probably a guy that should have been drafted on day three, um, but he had a great game. Michael, I mean, you had a tweet about um, his production in comparison to some other Jets edge prospects, but I guess talk about friend of the podcast, Bryce Huff, who's had a pretty good start to his young career for the Jets and looks like he's a, he's a guy who will be on this team in 2021. Yeah. He had that really good play where he sniffed out the end around and tack- uh, got that one down for an 11 yard loss. So a, a huge play, even though that wasn't actually a sack, it was more productive than most sacks are. So, I mean, the stat that I posted and look, it is kind of digging a little deep, but still really promising for an undrafted free agent, but he is the first jet to have at least one sack, one pass deflection and three tackles for a loss within the first five games of their career. So uh, he's been getting involved, making some timely plays, um, and look, has he been the most destructive pass rusher in the league? No, but he's shown a lot of really impressive flashes in a lot of different ways. We've seen him win around the edge. We've seen him win with some hand technique. He had a really good swipe move, double swipe move against the Broncos that didn't amount to a sack, but I mean, he just completely blew by the guard. Um, he had a, a few more with power. I, I, there was a really good bull rush he had against the Dolphins. Uh, which he just completely knocked the tackle back, almost forced Fitzpatrick into an interception. So we've seen him win in a lot of different ways. We've seen him make plays with awareness. There was a screen he took out against the Broncos um, that he noticed on third down. So, I I mean, we've seen a little bit of everything from him. So he really is, in addition to his pass rush potential, is showing a lot of flashes and uh, a lot of different facets of his position. So really showing the potential to be, a good, not just pass rusher, but all around starting edge player. Right. And, and as you said, at the top of the hour, it's, it's, these are the type of losses that you're okay with. Um, maybe you would have liked to see a little bit more production. As I said, I would have liked them to, to score the touchdown and not get the two point conversion and still lose. Um, but the jets rookies playing well and showing that they will belong uh, and that this class is coming together quite nicely. I think Joe Douglas has gotten a lot of hate because look, Robbie Anderson is doing well. He released Le'Veon Bell and he didn't bring Bell in, but just the, the noise of him cutting an all pro player like that, the jets being winless. I think he's come under fire from the national media and on some jets fans as well. Um, but I think it's, it's important to look at his class that's barely played and the ones that have played, haven't played too much. Um, and just to see the type of potential that's there. And it already looks, and look, I don't want to, as I said, I, I sometimes buy too much of the fan bias, but it already looks like this could be one of the Jets' better draft classes um, in recent years, which I guess is a low bar to clear. Um, but the fact that he was able to get a player like Becton outside the top 10, um, and then if Mims can come along in, in addition to some of these other guys. So 
I certainly buy into the Joe Douglas hype. I think he, you know, made a mistake not bringing back Robbie Anderson. I don't know if I would have taken James Morgan. There's definitely been a few hiccups, but when you look at the roster that he inherited, 10 bad years of drafting, um, I'm excited uh, to, to watch what he's going to yeah. do over the next two years with, with a bazillion picks, as, as Daniel Jeremiah said. Yeah, and, and I don't put a ton of blame on Douglas for the, and look, they're own seven and they're having one of the worst starts ever. So I'm not going to act like he's completely off the hook, but he didn't go into this offseason, approach this offseason as if he was trying to build for this year. It was clearly with the long term approach. And you look at the biggest weaknesses on the roster, a lot of them really have a lot more to do with just the, the drafting the few years before Douglas came in. Uh, and the other free agency moves. So again, he's not completely off the hook. Robbie Anderson, not doing anything at edge. Uh, and, you know, some of the stuff on the offensive line hasn't worked out fantastically. I think overall, the offensive line has definitely been a lot better than last season and made the jump that I hope they would probably about 10 spots in, into that twenties range, but it hasn't been perfect. Even if on the interior with Greg Van Roten, Lewis, even McGovern hasn't been as good as I expected, but ta- even if the tackle spots uh, with Becton and Fant are looking really promising. So look, he's not completely off the hook, but he right. took a long-term approach. And what's going to be most important with Douglas is how well he drafts. Can he build the core of this organization, of this team that the general managers before him were not able to, because that's the reason the Jets are where they're at, because they couldn't build that core, that base to build your team around. So that's what's going to be most important. And you can't judge him on that after seven games, especially with how little these guys have played. But, you know, Becton so far, he looks like as close to a lock to be a hit as you can through this point, just because he has been so consistent. There really have not been, and he has not had a down game so far. So he's looking good, but again, it's still really early for everyone. Right. Um, you know, hopefully Ashton Davis can be a starter. Hopefully Michael P. Ryan can maybe be that RB1 for you. I don't think so, but you know, there's still plenty of time right. for him to develop into that. And maybe Mims turns out to be a guy who can, you know, definitely, you know, be a baller for them. Yeah. And the biggest thing for the Jets is, is getting that head coach. Because like you said, I, I think when you look at a draft class, you're really only going to get maybe two or three studs. And then the rest, you want guys to fill out your roster. So it's going to take him a few more years. I guess the Jets have two first round picks and back-to-back years. Um, so they could get a little bit more than that. But he knew the state of this roster when he inherited it. He knew when he traded Jamal Adams what he was doing. I don't think he expected to be in the Trevor Lawrence discussion. I think he thought there were going to be some young guys that were going to step up. I think he thought he was going to have Mims and Perriman. I think he probably predicted he was going to be picking top 15. But um, So a little bit of a miscalculation, but I'm not faulting Douglas much at all. Um, I'm curious to see who he picks with with his hand-picked GM. Um, and the trade deadline is next week, Michael. And so while we're on the topic of Joe Douglas, there are some guys that he could consider moving. Um, we had this question in a mailbag last week. We talked about a few of them. Um, I will say, I don't think Jordan Willis came up on, on any of them, but the, the fact that the Jets got a six round pick for him, I know they gave a seventh and it's going to be a, an early seventh for a late sixth or whatever, but um, still pretty insane that he even got anything for Jordan Willis. But Michael, when you look at this roster, who are some of the guys that you think won't be Jets uh, when they face the New England Patriots two weeks from now? I mean, Bradley McDougald is one that comes to mind. He hasn't been playing well at all. So, I mean, his stock wouldn't be too high right now. But you do have Ashton Davis behind him. Uh, and I think that's a big thing. Where do you have veteran players who you can trade and then put a younger player in there who could potentially help you 
long-term because again, Douglas is making these decisions. The coaching staff talking about Greg Williams, Adam Gase, they're probably not thinking long-term They're They do not have a good chance of being here next year. If they do want to stick around or get a job somewhere else, they have to play well and win games. So they're probably not making those future favoring decisions, but Joe Douglas can make those and force their hand. So I think positions where you have young players ready to step in is where those trades can happen. So McDougal, that safety with Ashton Davis behind him, that's a potential move they can make. Uh, and Davis did get a lot more snaps in this game. And McDo- for a lot of them in McDougal's place, Mc- it wasn't a complete benching. McDougal was still in there through the end of the game, missing tackles. But uh, it, Davis did get his share of snaps. So that's a potential one. Avery Williamson does not look like the elite run stopper and decent player in coverage he used to be. Definitely has taken a big step back post ACL. So Blake Cashman is sitting behind him waiting for more snaps, not a Joe Douglas pick, but still a potential player going forward. And Cashman did go into the season as the starter until he went down very early in that bills game. Uh, Although Williamson wasn't back at that point. Um, But so those are, I think those are the two guys I'm looking at most probably McDougal Williamson and, and more so veteran players. I think at positions where veterans who aren't playing well, I think, Guys like, you know, Quinn and Williams, Marcus May, maybe they do. But personally, I don't think trading those players is I don't think trading those guys is, you know, what you should be doing as a rebuilding team like the Jets. If you can get uh, value for guys like McClendon, Jordan Willis, guys who aren't helping you in the future, you know, then that's great. You're just getting future value for players who won't be here anyway. But Marcus May, Quinn and Williams. These are players who can be here and help you for a long time. So to just trade them for a lottery ticket who you can hope will be as good as they are doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But maybe they do go that route. Those guys are not Douglas picks. We know he's trying really hard to put a stamp on this roster. So I guess I could see it. But personally, I definitely don't think the players who are plus players for you, you probably shouldn't be trading unless you're getting a very attractive package. Right. I think McDougal and Avery are two really good ones. And and look, the Jets will probably be getting, what, fifth round picks for those guys. Not too much. But as we said, look, the Jets got Brandon Marshall for a fifth in 2015. You can trade up in the third, second, the fourth, using some of those picks as extra ammo. So they do have value. Um, I think, yeah, I think we will see a lot of trades, though. I do think that Joe Douglas is going to continue to sell. I hope the one thing that he doesn't do, um, and I could see this, I don't think it's likely, but trade a guy like Chris Herndon or something where I just feel like his val- his stock is at an all-time low right now. And I just feel like he's a prime candidate for a guy who will boom once Adam Gase is gone. We just, we saw his talent in his rookie season. We heard all about it in training camp. He's not really put it together in the field. He's not really getting any targets. I think he had one, but it got called back from a penalty today. Um, but that's the type of guy where I could totally see that Douglas might get an offer for him. Um, because he has a lot of positive traits, but I hope he doesn't pull the trigger on a guy like that whose stock is low. And like you said, with with Quinnen, um, can contribute uh, in 2020, 20, or 2021 and beyond. I think last week I, I said that I thought Marcus May would be traded. I still think that's a possibility just because he's going to be 28. They're going to have to decide to pay him. He plays essentially the same position as Davis, although in today's NFL, you know, free and strong safety. It's pretty much a really interchangeable. Point. Exactly. So you could really have, if Davis impresses uh, in, in a role next to Marcus May, maybe next week will be the only time you can make that decision. But if they kind of show that they can play together, those two could be your two starting safeties. The one thing that's making me hesitate is hearing Adam Gase talk about 
Marcus May filling in in the Steve McClendon veteran role. If he's a good leader in the locker room, he's obviously a great player. He's, I mean, he's not young. He's in his prime, but he is 28. Um, so I could, I, I could see him not trading uh, Marcus May. Uh, outside of that, there is one guy, and we're going to talk about him in just a second, that, that was getting some buzz today on Jets Twitter about trading. Um, but outside of that, yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I could see them maybe moving a guy like Perriman, although I don't think it makes much sense. I think you just give him, give Darnold him for the, the last um, nine games. If you could get a fourth or something for Perriman, which you, which you wouldn't, but if you could get something like that or f- maybe even a fifth, maybe I would do it. Um, but outside of that, I don't think there's anybody that immediately comes to mind. Quinn, oh, sorry, there was there was some buzz about Quinn and Williams. Before we get to, to Jameson Crowder, who was, I was just going to talk about, there was some buzz about training uh, Quinn and Williams. I don't agree with that at all. Um, I think, sure, if they were going to get a high first, which they're not going to get, then maybe I would trade Quinn. But like you said, I mean, he's becoming a really good player. He's taking steps um, to become an elite player. Year three is generally the year for interior defensive linemen where they really boom. And I think he's a guy that's really showing he's getting better. If at this point in the season, Quinn hadn't really developed much from your, from his rookie season, I would be on board with trading him for a second if you could get it. But the fact that his, his stock is trending upwards, I do really believe in Quinn. I think next year, you never know if a different defense, sometimes that with Greg Williams, defensive lineman, he doesn't really have them attacking downhill as much. And you, you can see guys really um, come out of their shell once they're out of it. If, if Quinnen isn't a four, three defensive tackle type of role instead of a three, four defensive end, or, I mean, Greg Williams moves them all around, but you never know. I think year three will be a big year for Quinnen. So I'd hold on to him. Uh, Sam Donald's the other guy. I don't think the jets are going to trade him. If they got a one for him, and I put that tweet out because uh, Andy Dalton just got over the Cowboys. If, if a team like the Cowboys in this fantasy land scenario was going to offer the Jets a one for Sam Darnold, which is one above his value and two unlikely, then yes, I would take it. I would take the risk that you could maybe win a few games with Joe Flacco and then you're not getting Trevor Lawrence because I think one, that's probably not going to happen. And if that's the case, you have plenty of ammo to trade up. Three, you Justin Fields is a pretty nice consolation prize, especially if you want to pair him with with a Joe Douglas connection and Greg Roman, because they have that Baltimore connection. That could be an interesting pairing. So if the Jets were to get something like a one for Darnold, I'd do it, but that's not going to happen, obviously. Uh, I don't know if I'd do it for a two. I think you just wait till the end of the season. But the main guy... Well, I, of- well first to talk about Darnold, I, I, just to touch on those two guys you just talked about, I agree. If you can get a one for Darnold, I think that's above. If you can catch a t- desperate team like the Cowboys, I think a one is way above the level he's playing right now. So I would take that. I lean towards keeping him just to have an extra option in case you don't win the Trevor sweepstakes. But if you can get a one, I think that's too good a value to pass up. And then on Quinnen, I agree. He was he's the third overall pick last year, and now he's starting to play like it, really progressing throughout the season. He's already amazing against the run. Pass rushing keeps getting better and better. Um, so to trade a guy who's just the third overall pick and is really starting to progress – for a second rounder just seems like a negative value trade to me. So for those two guys, I agree. Uh, Quinnen, I would definitely hold on to him unless you can get a high first, which is not happening. Uh, and then Darnold, unless you, I would keep him also, unless you can catch a desperate team like the Cowboys for a first. Right. So just to keep track, I think, and look, we have, we have another whole week um, to talk about this, but I think that McDougal and Avery will be out of here. I think you might see one or two other kind of surprise guys, under the radar guys like Jordan Willis, maybe a guy like Jordan Jenkins, um, maybe a guy like Brian Poole. He's a little bit more high profile. I'd keep him since he's young and playing well. But um, those are the type of guys that I think could be moved. But Jamison Crowder is a guy that I saw get some buzz about trading. And there is an argument to be made, um, at least when you look at it 
uh, from a roster or management perspective, when you look at Jameson Crowder, uh, he's going to be older. He's um, due to make $10 million this, uh, this next season. Um, his stock is at an all-time high. I think he's going to be 28. Uh, I, I wanted to. Yeah, 28. 28. Season. So he's kind of like Marcus May in that situation. He's a slot receiver. So you could make the argument in a loss season that you trade Crowder now while his stock is at an all-time high. Maybe you can get a, a fourth or something for him. Uh, and then you play Braxton Berrios there because Berrios, um, you know, he's a, he's a solid slot guy. Um, but Michael and I both disagree with this. I would say that I would only trade Crowder if they got a second for him. I know Michael even disagrees with that. I would say if you got a second for Crowder, which I don't think they will, uh, or maybe a high third and a sixth or a fifth or something, then maybe I would consider that. But outside of that, Crowder's another guy. Although he's 28, he's super productive. He's going to help out whoever the quarterback is next year. Um, he's a good guy in the locker room. That's not a guy I would trade. I'm trading guys who like Bradley McDougald and Avery Williamson guys who I don't think are going to be here in 2021. Um, but a guy like Crowder, if it's Sam Darnold, if it's Trevor Lawrence, if it's Justin Fields, whoever it is, Crowder is a guy who can really, really help out a, a young quarterback. And, and if he was in any you know, other situation, I think people would be talking about Crowder as one of the top slot receiving options in the NFL. I think he is that, um, but he doesn't really get much, much buzz outside of maybe some fantasy football owners, but Michael kind of break down why you think the whole let's ship off Crowder for a fourth and, and plug Braxton Berrios um, in there is misguided, despite the fact that the jets are zero and seven and no, not going anywhere this season. Yeah. This is one of the most mysterious things that I've seen jets fans suggest. And, and they make a lot of, they have a lot of crazy opinions, but this one just does not make sense to me. Uh, I, I mean, the number one complaint you've gotten from Jets fans over the past three years, especially this season, is that they have no weapons and they don't help Sam Darnold. So why would you trade the absolute best weapon that they have for the sake of turning it over to Braxton Berrios, who has not shown nearly as much as Jameson Crowder has uh, both this season and his career? And, and that's the thing I probably the biggest problem with. Look, if you can get, I guess, a second rounder, first rounder, that's probably good value for him. Um, just looking at comparing it to other trades around the league. Although I probably wouldn't agree with that just because I'm a huge fan of Crowder's game. But the notion that Barrios is comparable to Jameson Crowder, that he's marginally worse than him makes zero sense at all. You just look at the games that Barrios has played without Crowder this year, 4.7 catches for 52.7 yards. Crowder this season is averaging 7.3 for 95.8, not even remotely close. Crowder right now is leading the NFL in yards per game and catches per game out of the slot, six catches for 80.3 yards on routes run out of the slot. So he's about as good as what he does as anybody. He was top 10 in both those stats and touchdowns last year uh, in terms of overall yards per route run, because Barrios obviously hasn't gotten a ton of playing time season, but Overall, on a per-route basis, so adjusting for playing time, Crowder 16th in yards per route run of 98 qualifiers. Barrios 60th. Barrios in this game against uh, the Bills. And, and this is what else – this is another thing that's interesting. It's not like Barrios had this great game to prompt him being considered close to Crowder. He had one first down, and he dropped a great throw from Darnold. So I don't understand what he showed in this game to be considered close to Crowder. Um, so I really don't get this at all. I, and I, I like Barrios. He's had, he's played well this season. He's had some good routes that didn't get rewarded and he's made some really good plays as well, especially those two scrambling touchdowns against the Niners. 
and the Colts from Sam Darnold. But is he Jameson Crowder? Not even remotely close. And, uh, so, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And Barrios is one of those guys that I think Jets fans just generally overrate because because he kind of looks like he, first of all, he's he's a little white guy, wears number 10. He kind of looks like a stereotypical Bill Belichick type receiver. In fact, he played with the, with the Patriots. He's not that good. I mean, he, he was a solid punt returner for the Jets last year, but he's not a guy that I'm going to lose sleep over if he's not with the Jets next season. Yeah, I, think, I mean, fans complain about the weapons. This is the guy who's been getting the most snaps with all the injuries. He's a big part of why the weapons haven't looked good. This I think, season. I think he's fine. I don't think he's anything special. In fact, you know, you plug Jeff Smith into that slot role. I think you might see even more production. Um, I just think Berrios doesn't do anything amazing. I think he's fine. Um, he's not yeah, glaringly bad. I mean, bad, in the role but... he's in right now, that's that's perfect. He's okay as your fourth yeah. or fifth receiver. But James, like Jameson Crowder has been carrying this offense this season and doing a really good job of it. If you put Berrios in that same role, and we, it's you know, it's there on paper. You can compare what he's done without Crowder. He's done basically barely more than half as much. He's definitely not as versatile and talented of a player as Crowder is. And, and the argument is that you're, you're thinking towards the future. You're thinking towards the next year. But I would argue that Jamison Crowder is thinking towards next year. You're thinking towards the future because next right. year you're going to have Trevor Lawrence under center or Sam Darnold or Justin Field, whoever it is. And the primary objective after this past season is going to be to surround them with talent. So hopefully – Denzel Mims is a guy you can count on. Hopefully Chris Herndon is a guy over the last eight games. You can say, okay, he's a solid starting tight end. But outside of that, you're going to want to be able to say, we got Jameson Crowder in the slot. We've got first round rookie here. Maybe it's Rashad Bateman. Maybe it's whoever else, you know, your four string receiver, probably a guy you signed up for agency. Maybe a guy like Corey Davis, maybe whoever, but you're going to want to build up that receiving core, but you lose a guy like Crowder. That is a hole. I mean, he plays a very valuable position, uh, and he's among the best to do it in the NFL. So I don't get rid of a good player. If the Jets were a lot better, Crowder would be getting a lot more buzz for the type of season that he's having. If you were to surround him with a lot better players, um, I think Jets fans just really see the value that he has. The problem is that he's just been on two really, really bad teams. Um, and people see that $10 million um, tag, uh, price tag next to him. And the fact that you know the Jets are in a perceived fire sale, but he's the type of guy that, no, 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 you hold on to him. I'd be more... Um, for trading a guy like Marcus May than I am Jameson Crowder. I'd like to keep both, but it's kind of a similar situation. May going to be 28, Crowder going to be 28, uncertain about their 2021 futures. Um, but Crowder is a guy that helps your young quarterback. May is right. not. And that's the main point. Like we talk about supporting Darnold all the time. So if you want to help out your next guy, or even if it is Sam Darnold and he returns, or you do want to help Darnold the rest of this season, then why don't you keep your best weapon who's about the best in the league or, you know, definitely top five to 10. Maybe he's not the best. I definitely wouldn't argue that, but is he a top five to 10 slot receiver? I don't think there's any argument that he's not that. So right. to, it definitely is to trade him. And would you and say that open he's up another hole that you have to fill to help out your young quarterback next year, whoever it is, doesn't make sense to me. And would you say that he's worth 10 million and keep in mind, his contract will expire before he's 30. So it's not like the jets are on the hook for him until he's 33 or something. And they need to, he's on the jets until he's 30. I would say that he's worth 10 million. I think he's certainly proved yeah. it on the field, get him in a different offense with potentially a different quarterback and, and different weapons around him. I think you're going to see him continue to flourish. He's the type of guy that you don't trade. You can make an argument. He's a top three player on this team right now. So I'm not, I'm not moving Crowder. He has value for the 2021 yeah. jets, which is all you're trying to, to, to do at this point is evaluate for the future. 
and the salary he's right now right now his cap hit is set to be 21st at wide receiver next year and he's tied for 13th in receptions since the start of 2019 even missing the two games this year or that that was coming into this week so um i mean he's pretty much playing up to his value and even if he wasn't that even if he was a little bit lower it what you're paying for is certainty with jameson crowder this is sixth year in the league he's he was relatively consistent over his four years coming past four years coming into the season. And now he's taken it up a whole nother notch, even though his quarterbacks have not played well at all. So, I mean, even though he is up there in age, he's, he's, he's a player you can rely upon. And when you pay veteran players, that's a big part of what you're playing for. You, what you're paying for, you know what you're getting, you know, I'm getting a starter. I'm getting a guy who I can rely upon. And, you know, if you don't pay that much money, then that's when you're gambling on a draft pick on a player like Braxton Berrios, who, you know, maybe they're younger and they've upside, but you have no idea if they can come anything close to what that veteran can do. So Jameson Crowder at a number 21 salary next season, which will probably be, he'll probably rank even lower than that once there are new deals signed. Uh, Assuming the cap stays the same, which it probably might not, but um, you know, at, at that price, I think he's definitely worth it the way he's yeah, playing. And, so and the Jameson Jets, Crowder trade noise, I'm 100% against that. And it's like the Jets need cap space next year. They, they freed up plenty of it. Um, they're not, they don't really have anybody that right. they need to pay next offseason outside of maybe Marcus May. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm all aboard keeping Jameson Crowder for 2021. Um, but, yeah, I guess just to recap what we've talked about on this podcast, I would say Sunday was the perfect type of loss, the type of losses that you should be cheering for the next nine weeks, have the rookies play well, want to continue to see progression out of Mims, out of Becton, Davis. We should get to see Zuniga. I'm really excited to see him, um, see if he can provide more of a pass rush in addition to guys like Bryce Huff and John Franklin Myers um, and all those other rookies, LaMichael P. Ryan, Cameron Clark, et cetera. If we can really start to see them all hit the field. Uh, and there's a chance that we could see all of them hit the field, like I said, uh, outside of James Morgan. Um, and they can all make varying levels of impact but at least make some sort of impact um i'll be pretty happy so rookies want to keep uh, seeing them grow as far as the trade deadline approaching uh two weeks from now i think mcdougald avery are the two that that really come to mind but keep an eye out for maybe even kicker i mean sergio rodriguez oh i didn't out even there and look good maybe the titans maybe the titans want to throw seventh our way for mm-hmm. ficken or sergio <laughs> i think uh, that i was about to say that sergio castillo looks pretty damn good i mean he's 30 years old but he looked pretty damn good in his first uh, Wait, Did I NFL. call him something different? I think I did. No, I no. I, th- I mean, Sergio, though. He's good. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, we have to see the kicking battle between him and Ficken, but I think you can make an argument he might be better than Ficken um, just based off two kicks that I watched him and nothing else. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean. I, you I, did I say he was good in the CFL. He was good in the CFL. He's 41 of 45, career long of 59. I mean, he was on the Falcons practice squad in like 2014, made his only two kicks in the preseason, but they had Matt Bryant, so they cut him and he didn't get another chance. So I'm kind of a fan of Sergio Castillo. I also had somebody tweet me and say they, they know him and he's a nice guy. So, all right, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, McDougald, Avery are the two that we expect to be traded. Don't trade Quinnen. Don't trade Crowder. You're not going to probably trade Darnold. Um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, the, the last nine weeks, it's about those rookies. But outside of the rookies, Guys like Terrell Basham, guys like Jonathan Franklin Myers, Foley Fadukasi, uh, Chris Hernan, Trevon Wesco, Jeff Smith, Bless Austin. I don't know if I said Blake Cashman, Cashman. already. Cashman. There's a lot of guys like that who aren't necessarily rookies or George or Fant. George Fant. 
Um, but young guys, or at least guys that you're expecting to be on the roster in 2021, if we can see some of those guys, and this is what Joe Douglas is going to be watching, want to see some of these guys hit so you can have some level of faith in, in the roster in 2021. I think the roster is, is bad. I think it's going to be a lot better next year after you know, an injection of, of draft picks and some free agents. But you'd like to see some homegrown talent um, from the Mac era um, or free agent signings from Douglas that, that could really make uh, an impact. I think um, Jonathan Franklin Myers is a, is a Douglas guy, but I think he's really impressed me. Fadu Kasi is the, the big one that comes to mind because they trade McClendon. He's going to have nine games to really prove himself in that McClendon role that he can, he can fill that nose tackle position. Um, so just kind of guys like that. I'd like to see Her- Herndon um, play a lot better, you know, score a touchdown, maybe, you know, actually hear his catch name on ball. Sunday, catch a ball. That might be, <laughs> that might be good. I'm not expecting bless Austin to be a starter next year, but at least prove that you're, you're number four corner. Um, Blake Cashman, I'd love to see him. That was a guy we were talking about going into the season that we really wanted to see take the next step. So there's guys like that on the roster. That's really the only reason to watch on Sunday is all these young guys. Uh, and so, so this game against the bills was, was the perfect recipe for that. Shout out to, to Trayvon Wesco, by the way, not great on the fullback dive, but I will say, the Jets may finally have a blocking tight end because I was yeah, not gonna... as a blocker, he gets it done. And that's, I mean, you want a guy like that in your tight end group. You don't necessarily need a guy who can do everything. If you have one tight end that can really block well for you, I mean, that opens up a lot of things um, in that running game. Um, so West goes, you know, sneaky, good player for the Jets this year. But um, yeah, a lot of guys like that, that, that I'll be watching on, on Sundays, but so is the reality as a Jets fan cheering for losses, but having the young guys uh, play well. Uh, I think that'll do it for us. Um, you can follow us at CYJ pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania, myself at Ben W Blessington. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Jets X factor, the best place to go for Jets content. Um, we were going to make a, a pun earlier about Denzel Mims balling, and then we were going to work in the manscaped ad, but I guess, I guess we just called an audible on that. But yes, if, if you, um, I don't even know how to tie it in anymore. Michael, Michael, maybe give me the segue that we talked about. Ready? Okay, go. So the thing about Denzel Mims is speaking that, of balls, speaking um, of <laughs> manscaped. Wait, you, I don't, you didn't get it out. Okay. Uh, 20% off cool. Your jets, uh, 20% off and free shipping for, for your balls. Um, now back to you, Michael. Uh, I, I think you finished it off pretty well. All right. Well, I think that was, the setup. That's all, that was the setup. We got to work <laughs> on the promo. Maybe they could send us a, a script to read or something, but Nine more weeks of this bullshit, and then we're, we're officially into draft talk and who's the new head coach. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody who's been listening to the podcast over the, the season. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible since the Jets have been so bad. Our listens have been skyrocketing, so we really appreciate everybody checking us out. I know it's Michael because he's a celebrity, um, so he's probably the, the main draw here. But um, we really appreciate it. Hopefully, when the Jets are good, I think Michael and I might be hitting 3 million downloads on each episode. Yeah, I think so. Somewhere around there. That's the minimum goal. <laughs> <laughs> we am high here at the cool Your jets podcast unlike adam gase's jets but um anyways everybody stay safe stay healthy and again don't let the jets ruin your life now we're just watching for fun this is healthy jets football Down most likely. There goes Gunner to the 40, to the 30, breaks the tackle at the 20, 10.